Dateline, 30th of April, 2023. Well, g'day folks. Welcome to the Australia Desk for this week's episode number 747. Well, Grant, we thought since it's the 747 episode uh, this week, we, we could have a little bit of fun and maybe talk about some experiences we've had on the Queen of the Skies, as everybody so lovingly likes to call that aircraft. <laughs> indeed, indeed, mate. You know, maybe this could be the Queen of our episodes. Well, jeez, well, jeez, I've got no comeback for that, Grant. There could be so many responses to that, really. Anyway, Grant, uh, let's talk about 747s. There's been quite a lot of them here, um, you know, operating in and out of Australia for many, many years. We actually don't see a lot of them here in Melbourne anymore. In fact, really, here in Melbourne, the only ones that you would really see coming in regularly would be freighters. I know uh, Cathay brings one in most days, as does Singapore Airlines. But, uh, you know, really, they've all been replaced these days by Dreamliners and um, A350s for long-haul stuff. Yeah, and triple sevens and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, we've we've had some memorable flights and we've had some experiences with seven fours. The interesting thing is, for me at least, that uh, all this love of aviation that I have really stems from my first ever flight, which was in an Air New Zealand seven four seven, probably I guess a two hundred series, uh, back in nineteen eighty nine when I uh, travelled to the United States for the first time as an exchange student, a wide eyed seventeen year old at that time, <laughs> and um, I remember, you know, and I was actually a bit nervous about flying I'd, I'd as I said, never done it before, but I remember rolling out onto the runway there at Melbourne and thinking, well, it's it's a heck of a long way to swim if I'm going over there. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it, it was quite an overcast day, I remember, and we sort of rocketed down uh, runway 27 there at Melbourne. You're thrown back into your seats. It's, you know, loud and it's rumbly and it's very, very cool, I always think, in a 7.4 and uh, rocketing up into the sky and up into the clouds. And I just thought, oh, my God, how good is this? And I've been hooked ever since. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty good. Um, I've I don't think I've ever flown on a Dash One Hundred. I've flown on a Seven Four Seven Two Hundred, Three Hundred, Four Hundred, and the SP with Air New Zealand, Qantas, Aerolineas Argentinas, United. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the other airlines I've been on Seven Fours with. Yeah, well, interestingly, United uh, they used to be quite regular visitors here to Melbourne and to Sydney with seven four sevens, and I've done that flight in the early nineties. Can you believe Grant doing that uh, fourteen and a half hour flight from uh, Melbourne to Los Angeles, which just seems to feel like it's a bit longer every single time you do it as you get older? Uh, back in those days, there certainly wasn't in seat uh, in flight entertainment. Um, you basically sat there and read books or. You know, watch whatever movie they might pipe onto the screen at the end of the bulkhead of the cabin. Yep, that was it. And you waited for the tranquilizer trolley to come around and you ordered uh, two beers and everyone looked at you like you were being a bit rude, but they'd finished theirs as you were just starting your second one. And by the time you'd just finished your second one, the tranquilizer trolley had come around again and everyone would go, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll have two. But, but yeah, it, uh, you know, I've done the uh, Transpolar route with Aerolineas Argentinas where they're Dash 200s didn't have the range to do Buenos Aires, Auckland direct. So they had to go down to Rio Gallegas to refuel and then go from there, from the south of Argentina across to Auckland. That was that was fascinating. Um, I've been on a few flight decks. Uh, I got a personalised tour of the Qantas jet base at Mascot in Sydney and uh, spent a lot of time on both 300 and 400 flight decks with a Czech captain looking at how the engineer's panel on the 300 got changed to a single, well, the whole APU panel on the engineer's panel and the 300 got replaced by a single button on the 400 on, off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting times. And technology certainly has moved on over time and it sort of moved with the 747 uh, right up until just recently, really, with the uh, obviously the closure of the uh, production line there at Everett. 
And uh, that's that's a bit sad, but you know, really, there are there's a lot of exciting things coming on in aircraft development, and you know, maybe the seven four seven has had its time. Um, interestingly, probably obviously the biggest uh, operator here has always been Qantas. They ordered their first seven four seven, actually a dash one hundred, in uh, uh, October of nineteen sixty seven. But actually, Grant, I think the first one that came here was a dash two hundred. In 1971, the other uh, probably really famous 747, of course, was the Qantas uh, 747 438, uh, which was the first 400 series that Qantas took. Registration VHOJA. Uh, that one actually flew the non-stop flight from London to Sydney uh, in 20 hours and 10 minutes, 18,001 miles. That was, and it set a record for that time. And that aircraft has been memorialised. It's actually its last flight was actually also historic, taking off from Sydney, flying down to uh, Wollongong to what is now known as the Shell Harbour Airport, and it is to this day on uh, static display there with HARS. And of course, just a couple of years ago, Qantas flew their last 747 across the Pacific to the Boneyard, and that was a very famous flight in itself. A flight crew, including our good friend Owen Zup, was on board, and uh, they went up and actually flew off the east coast of Australia a uh, flight path that uh, looked like a giant flying kangaroo in the skies. It was absolutely spectacular. As I mentioned, our friend Owen Zup was on board, and here's what he had to say about the planning for that flight. It was a very interesting exercise because when they first pulled it up on Google Earth, they had to look at it, then they had to convert to lat longs, etc., etc. And then you had to consider how tightly an aircraft could turn around the tip of a tail and what speed you could do that at. Oh, gee, well, if we were doing that, we'd prefer to have the flaps out. Well, then we can't be above flight level 200. Oh, but if we're sliding down the back of the creature, well, we don't want to waste time. There was a million variables and I came in at probably the the 11th hour after all the hard work had been done. Um, so I was very fortunate. I take my hat off totally to, to the chaps that came up with it. And it wasn't just the, the tech crew who did it. It was all the support from the, the teams in airspace management. It was defence because the airspace at Williamtown. Uh, there were just so many stakeholders that made that happen. And whilst it seemed to have a degree of secrecy about it, we weren't to tell anyone it was happening. It wasn't for media purposes. It was because there were certain environmental conditions we had to meet to be able to do it. Uh, if the wind was above a certain speed or the turbulence level, well, it probably wasn't going to be ideal to draw the kangaroo. In terms of uh, the harbour and the salute to AJA and the kangaroo, uh, those were all pre-flown in the um, simulator to trial out what had been worked out in theory and all, all of those to try and highlight what the problems were or potential problems were, I should say. And there were so many little things that came up, even to the degree that they tried to uh, do the automatic uplink of the flight plan into the flight management computer, but it was just too many waypoints. So they had to be all manually loaded in. So with all the, the festivities that were happening, two of the crew members had actually sat up there longhand, entered all the waypoints in. There were about 75 just for the kangaroo. So they'd put those in. So while everyone was standing on the stairs sort of doing the waving shot, uh, there was a big yellow note, don't touch anything basically because it had all been put in longhand. So there you go, Grant. And for all that technology that's on board those aircraft, it's interesting to know that the uh, the humble post-it note still plays a very, very important role. <laughs> yes, it does, mate. And uh, I've used things like that a few times in cars and aircraft saying, you know, don't know. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. 
Uh, in our uh, Playing Crazy Down Under, the new series, uh, if you want to listen to that full interview, that's in uh, Series 2, Episode 2. So uh, we invite you to uh, go and have a listen to that full interview. It's really interesting. And, of course, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not listening to ours, huh? Yeah, playingcrazydownunder.com. No, there we go. There's a bit of shameless self-promotion. Now, Grant, in the news this week, uh, we see that uh, regional operator Rex, we talk about Rex a lot, they've actually been uh, cutting some routes. I don't know that they're very particularly happy about that either. No, they're not, mate. They're uh, they're making some, uh, well, I wouldn't say wild accusations or things like that, but they're saying it's, you know, labour shortages, hard to get pilots and crew, can't run all the flights. Uh, but, yeah, Qantas Link's still running them. That's interesting. You know, there's always this uh, this tension that goes on between uh, all these competing interests. And, I mean, isn't that what competition is supposed to be about? I'm just saying. But, uh, you know, one, one, one regional operator will go into an area and they'll start operating and the other one will say, well, that's not fair. That's our market. Well, you know, that's not what competition is all about. <laughs> but, you know, both of them are getting subsidised by the government on some of these routes. Yes, Oops. well, details, details, yes. Speaking of details. Speaking of details, we did mention last week with the sad passing of Max Hazelton, and I just wanted to make a correction. I was talking about the cadet scheme. Uh, of course, um, um, Hazelton Airlines was uh, part of the ANSAT network back in those days, and they were wound up uh, when ANSAT was wound up, of course. And I was talking about a cadet scheme. I actually did get that mixed up. It was actually Kendall Airlines, which was another regional operator, uh, the other half of which was merged with Hazelton to become Rex uh, further on down the track. So just a correction there. Well, you know, maybe Hazelton did have a cadet scheme too. There were plenty of them going on at that time, but the one I was thinking of was actually with Kendall Airlines. Interesting to see cadet schemes coming back, by the way. But, uh, well, mate, moving from commercial to my favourite area, which is defence, of course, uh, we mentioned last time that the Defence Strategic Review uh, was just about to drop. Well, it dropped with a clang on Monday. I've been reading it ever since, and oh my, there is a lot to digest with this one. Very much a lot of changes, but uh, for the Americans, it's great because we're doing a lot more foreign military sale purchases of US equipment and possibly some direct purchases with US vendors. So I will have more on that on a future Playing Crazy Down Under episode that we're putting together and also a couple of episodes of the Australian Defence Magazine podcast, which I host and we produce. Yes, and of course, uh, you know, in, in context of what we're doing here, we'll be looking at, um, well, for Australian Defence Magazine, you'll be looking at uh, across the whole defence sector. But of course, uh, here on this show, we'll be looking at how it do, uh, potentially affects anything to do with uh, defence aviation. That's the focus we want to have here. And uh, hopefully it doesn't affect it too much, unless it's in a positive way. Hey, we can but hope. But uh, no doubt we'll have snippets for you guys coming up, uh, especially after we have our full episode on the topic. But mate, I think it's probably time to wrap this one up, and it's a very special anniversary today, isn't it, as we record? Yeah, it sure is. Well, first off, it's the 30th of April. We always record this on a Sunday, so happy birthday to Mr. Vanderhoof. And, uh, yep, it's, a, uh, you know, always on the 30th. Well, of course, as we record this, it's the day before, but, you know. In the US it is, and, but it's the 30th here. Yeah, and, and of course, by the time this goes to air, the event will have well passed. But happy birthday, my friend. I hope you uh, had a wonderful, wonderful day. The other anniversary is, uh, as it turns out, it's 14 years ago since uh, Grant and I had our first ever meeting at Moorabbin Airport. So sorry about that, Grant. It's it's just still lingering <laughs> on all these years later. <laughs> I think we have to apologise to the world, not to each other. <laughs> and maybe to Stephen Pam. I mean, look what it's done to him. Yeah, look at him. He had a lot more hair, hair in that photo. <laughs> I think we all did, even I when I had did. a buzz cut. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. I guess we'll be back next week and see what anniversaries we can pluck out of that one. 
But until then, I think the best way that uh, we can end this is happy birthday to you. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. For God's sakes, fade me out. Happy birthday to you. <laughs>